This is the last in our sermon series on our Summer in the Psalms, and Psalm 49 speaks on a topic that we deal with probably every day of our lives. Listen to God's Word. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The utterance from my heart will give understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp, I will expound my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of great riches? No man can redeem the life of another or give God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that wise men die, the foolish and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. But man, despite his riches, does not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. Like sheep, they are destined for the grave and death will feed on them. The upright will rule over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. Though while he lived, he counted himself blessed and men praise you when you prosper, he will join the generation of his fathers who will never see the light of life. A man who has riches without understanding is like the beasts that perish. This is God's word. Please, please be seated. This year marks the 100th anniversary of a spectacular archaeological discovery. In 1922, in the Valley of the Kings in Egypt, the British archaeologist Howard Carter discovered King Tut's tomb. Sealed for over 3,000 years, the burial chamber was filled with treasures, filled with the wealth of the Pharaoh. Um, his coffin was solid gold, 240 pounds. Uh, right now, gold is selling for $1,750 an ounce, and so I'll let you calculate the value of that casket in today's market. That was just one of the many items in his tomb. King Tut was a man of enormous wealth, but all his wealth could not slow the march of time or prevent his death. You know, as Americans, we think about money and wealth probably every day of our lives in some fashion. We count on it, we worry about it, we dream about it. Uh, just think of all the dreaming and fantasizing that went on with the recent billion dollar lottery. You know, when it comes to death, we don't talk or think about death as, as often or as seriously as we talk about money. And even more rarely do we put wealth and death together. But that's what Psalm 49 does. It looks at wealth through the lens of death. 
And this psalm shows that if you don't do that, you will never understand wealth. You'll never understand it if you just as seriously, unless you just as seriously take your own death into account. Actually, this psalm goes a step step farther. It's not just that you won't understand wealth, it will become a curse to you and may even lead you to hell. Now, Psalm 49 is in a class of psalms that scholars call wisdom psalms. Think for a minute of the different types of psalms that we've studied in this series. We've looked at psalms of confession, like Psalm 51, which, which says things like, uh, Have mercy on me, O God, blot out my transgressions. Against you, you only have I sinned. We also looked at psalms that are often called complaints or laments. These are psalms in which the psalm writer uh, is is complaining to God about some problem in life and and asking for God's help, like Psalm 3, O Lord, how many are my foes? O Lord, arise and deliver me. We've looked at psalms of praise, like Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Wisdom psalms are different. They have a different tone. They, they aren't as emotional. They don't tell you to shout or cry out or sing. Instead, they're more, they're more reflective. They're more thought-provoking. They sound like the book of Proverbs or the book of Ecclesiastes, and they deal with the big questions of our existence, and their purpose is to give you a supernatural view to enable you to look at life from a God-centered perspective. And so let's look at Psalm 49 under three points. I think they'll be on the screen. They're in your your bulletin. And I'm going to call them two sober facts, two gospel truths, and two ways of life. So the first sober fact in this psalm is that wealth cannot ransom a person from death. Verse 7, no man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. There was a movie a few years ago called The The Bucket List. Jack Nicholson played a multimillionaire and Morgan Freeman played a janitor and they meet in a cancer treatment center the, the janitor has made a list of all of the things he wants to do in life before he kicks the bucket. There are extravagant things that he could not afford, like eating in the finest restaurant in Paris and climbing the Great Pyramid of Egypt. Well, the millionaire finds the list, and with his uh, immense wealth, they, they set off around the world on this adventure to do all the things in the bucket list, to check them off. But never once does the millionaire say to the janitor, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use my great wealth to redeem your life, to to make you live forever. Or I'm going to to give my money away, and so God will have to listen to that that prayer. Um, Even Hollywood knows that something like that is so implausible. Money can't redeem a person from death. Someone has said money can buy a bed, but not rest. Books, but not wisdom. Food, but not but not an appetite, finery, but not beauty, a house, but not a home, medicine, but not health, amusement, but not contentment, religion, 
but not salvation. When Warren Buffett gave $1.5 billion to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, he held a news conference announcing his gift, and he said, there's more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way. What does verse 8 say? No payment is ever enough. See, money can't buy life, not physical life in this world or spiritual life with God. Even so, vast multitudes of people, both high and low, rich and poor, give their lives to money. They put their hopes in it. They long for it. They think if I had it, then I'd really be living. And sometimes when they have it, they feel like they're holding a good hand, like they have all the, all the good cards. But guess what? There's a, a trump card in the deck. It's death. And when death comes, money and wealth are absolutely powerless to ransom a person from death. So that's the first sober truth. The second is this, death separates a person from his wealth. It's in verses 10 and 11. For all can see that, the, that wise men die, the foolish and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. There are no hearses behind U-Hauls, right? There are no pockets in grave clothes. You can't take it with you. That movie, The Bucket List, was apparently inspired by a book called 100 Things to Do Before You Die. It was written by a man named Dave Freeman, uh, no relation to the, to the actor. It was a bestseller, and from those royalties, he began to do all the things in his book. All these great and interesting adventures, checking things off his list. But before he was halfway through... He slipped on wet tile in his California home and hit his head and died. He was 47 years old. He had made it as an author. The money was coming in. He was living the dream. He was doing 100 things before he died and he died and he left it all behind. You know, if you read older commentaries on this psalm, they're filled with stories and anecdotes about wealth and death. There was one that I read. It was a story of a pastor who was called to the deathbed of a man who was uh, an unbeliever. He was very frightened of death, thinking about God and, and judgment. And he said, will you pray for me? And the pastor said, hold, take my hand. And the man, he wouldn't hold the pastor's hand. And he said, you know, why won't you hold my hand? And the man admitted that he was holding in his fist a key to his lockbox with all his gold. And he was afraid that if he held his hand, the pastor might take it from him and steal his money when he died. Now, who knows if that really happened or not. That sounds like a preacher story to me. But, um, <laughs> but even so, listen, it is a true depiction of the relationship that many have with wealth. The delusions people have right up to the end that they can somehow take it with them or, or control them. No, says Psalm 49, you're going to die and somebody else is going to get your stuff. Wealth cannot ransom from death. Death separates from wealth. Now, these are not exclusively Christian observations. I mean, there are other religions and philosophies who've said the same thing. And in fact, any thinking person can see this. It's obvious. But in verse 4, the psalmist calls this subject of wealth and death a riddle. And I think what he means is that even if people might grasp this intellectually, the hold that wealth has on us and money has on us, the, our, our, our unwillingness to face the reality of death, make it very difficult for us to really get it 
and get what the psalm is saying. But we can, and by we, I mean Christians, we can face these sober facts and smile because we have something else. We have two gospel truths, and that's the second point. Now, what does gospel mean? You know what that word means? It means good news. I mean, that's literally what the word means. Gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. And the first piece of good news is that there is a ransom from death. It's a ransom that money can't buy, but God provides it. Look at verse 15. But God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. We can't save ourselves from death. God in his mercy redeems our lives. Now to redeem something means to buy it back. If you pawn some jewelry, you get a redemption ticket. And you know what that means? If you go back to the pawn shop in 30 days and pay back your loan plus interest, you redeem your jewelry. If not, then the pawnbroker keeps your jewelry. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And, and that's the reason why there is no money or no good works that can redeem you from death. The the price for sin is death, period. Blood must be shed. Sin is cosmic treason against your maker. It's not that God is cruel or sadistic, not at all. He's just. And so he takes everything we do as moral creatures with utmost seriousness. And as judge of all the earth, he cannot take payment to acquit the guilty. We, we despise human judges who do that. Why should it be any different with God? There is nothing we can pay God or that he would accept to escape his guilt and judgment, but God will redeem you. That's the message of grace in two words, but God. So what is the ransom and the redemption that God both demands and provides? What, it, what is the payment plus interest? I've asked our AV people to put a verse on the screen. This is 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. And what a perfect commentary this is on the psalm. Peter says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. See, not with silver or gold, but by the blood of Christ. The death of Jesus Christ is your redemption. His blood is the ransom payment for your life. And so what this means is when you die trusting Christ, your body goes into the grave. But what happens to your soul? How does the psalmist describe it? He says, God will surely take me to himself. God will receive me. You, you will die and go into the loving hands of your father who sent his son to die for you. Do you believe that? So that's the first wonderful piece of good news, the first gospel truth. The second is that, there's, that one day there will be a resurrection and it will be a resurrection to great wealth. Now, where is the resurrection in this psalm? It's in verse 14. Remember in this section, the psalmist is describing those people who trust their wealth and who spend their lives heaping up wealth and they even have lands named after themselves and they have mansions. But when they die, they lose everything. All they have is the grave. 
But then there's this remarkable statement, the upright will rule over them in the morning. Now, even though this Old Testament believer didn't have the extent of revelation that we have about about God's future plan, he knew enough to know God has greater things planned for his people. There's going to be a new morning. There's going to be a new life after this one. And in that new life, the people of God redeemed by his son's blood will rule. They will rule over everything the ungodly claim as their own. You know, the the Bible doesn't teach that that believers will spend all eternity, you know, floating around on clouds in the heaven, you know, playing harps with the angels. It says when Christ returns, there's going to be a new morning. There's going to be the dawning of a new day, the first morning of a new creation. And everyone who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ and who has died trusting Christ will not stay in the grave. You'll wake up on that morning. Just like Jesus woke up on Easter morning, the dead in Christ will rise with glorified bodies by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And these risen, redeemed people will inherit the earth. This world made new, this world restored with all of its wealth, and it will be ours to use and explore and develop and enjoy and rule for the glory of God. And every morning in that new life, we're going to wake up and and stretch our glorified bodies and say, what are we going to do today? See, trust wealth and worship money, and in the end, you'll die and lose everything. Trust Jesus Christ, and you'll get eternal life and the resurrection and an inheritance in the new creation. That brings us to the third point, two ways of life. What difference does this make now? I mean, we're talking about life after death, the resurrection. What difference does Psalm 49 make now? How should we live as believers in the light of the truth of this psalm? Well, there are, you know, several applications I can make at this point. I could say, you know, because of this, you need to give more money to the church. I mean, hey, if if money and wealth can't save you, you can't take it with you, you know you're going to heaven when you die, you're going to have everything one day, then why are you being stingy? You should be tithing. You should be giving, let's pass the plates again, okay? I could say that, and that'd be a pretty good application. But that's not the application the psalmist makes. He says, since this is true, since money can't save your soul, since you can't take it with you, but because God has redeemed you through Christ and by trusting Jesus, you will be raised to a glorious inheritance, here's the application. Don't be afraid. He says it twice. He says it in verse five. Why should I fear when evil days come, when I'm surrounded by those who boast of their riches? You know, in this fallen world, there are evil days. I mean, even Christians experience evil days sometimes. And some of those evil days are financial, crushing debts, negative judgments, business losses or failures, bankruptcies. The psalmist is saying, I don't fear those things because they can't destroy my soul and they can't remove a bit of what God has planned for me. And of course, furthermore, we know from scripture that God turns everything to the good of those who love him. So take the wisdom of this psalm, work it in deep, and it'll calm your panic. 
He says it again in verse 16. Now, the the version I read says, do not be overawed when a man grows rich, but it's the very same word as verse five. So we we could read verse 16 this way, do not fear when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases. And I think this is saying, you also don't have to be afraid of financial forces, like a rich man throwing his weight around or impersonal forces like, you know, inflation or recession or, um, you know, uh, financial institutions, the IRS, Wall Street, you might feel the force of them, but you're not a pawn. You're not hopeless before them because you're a child of God. They're destined for the grave. You're going to live forever. Remember the promise, the upright will rule over them in the morning. So that's the first way of life, a life without financial fear. A life without financial fear, not because you have a big bank account. Okay, that doesn't help. I mean, rich people worry about money too, just in different ways. But a life without financial fear because God has saved you. And he said, let me let you into a little inside information, my son. All this stuff that people are living for, it's going away. I have an inheritance for you. Isn't that the life you want? Freedom from the fear of evil financial days, freedom from the fear of financial forces. You can have it by trusting Christ who loved you and died for you. Or, remember I said there are two ways of life. The second option, the other way of life is you can trust money and spend your life thinking about it and meditating on it and devoting your heart to it and trying to pile it up. And whether you're rich or poor, make it your God. And what happens to people who trust money? What, what kind of life do they have? Did you hear a refrain in this psalm? It's, it's a chorus that's repeated twice in verse 12 and 20. Let me read it again. But man, despite his riches, does not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. A man who has riches without understanding is like the beasts that perish. It's saying that trusting money turns you into a clueless animal being led to the slaughterhouse. It it shepherds you right into the grave where you will be stripped of all your possessions and all your comforts and you'll suffer regret and emptiness forever. The psalmist says death will feed on those who trust their wealth and they will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions. Now, this is not a condemnation of money itself, right? I mean, as the saying goes, God doesn't mind his people having money. He minds money having his people. That is the crux of the matter. That's really the crux of this psalm. Who are you trusting? Really, who are you trusting? Tim Keller says there are two tests for revealing who or what you really trust. He calls them the solitude test and the nightmare test. And, and um, these are kind of self-administered tests. And so you've got to answer them honestly to yourself. I'm going to give them to you now. The solitude test is, where does your mind go in solitude? When, when the busyness of life is hushed, you know, when, they, when the cell phone battery dies, what do you think about What are your dreams? What are your fantasies? What do you imagine? He says, those are the things you're really trusting. And the nightmare test is similar. What do you dread losing more than anything else? If 
what, is there anything that you would rather die than lose? And once again, those are probably things that you are trusting for your meaning, your security, your support, your comfort in life. Now, I think if we were honest, if, if I was honest, I would have to admit that in the solitude of life, oftentimes it is money or the things money could buy or, or the way money could change life and circumstances and, and give security and, and lift me up in the eyes of, of the right people. And I think we'd have to admit that we also have plenty of nightmares about money. I mean, considering how often and easy it is for us to worry about it. My point is, even as believers, this is our struggle. We want to trust Jesus only and completely, but money and wealth pulls us. And so believers, this psalm can help. Read it, meditate on it, let the truth sink in deep. I mean, this psalm calls you to repent, repent of your idolatry. Ask the Holy Spirit for greater faith. Psalm 49 is God's word. And it comes to us with power to transform our thinking. There was a member in my former church who's now with the Lord. She's awaiting her inheritance in the new creation. But in this life, she was very poor. Her, her income was $600 a month. And she would often call me and ask me what I was preaching on the coming Sunday. And so I would say, well, you know, John 3, Romans 8, whatever it was. And then later in the week, she would call me and say, okay, here's what that's about. You know, here's what you need to put in your sermon. And so um, years ago, I was reading, I was preaching through the Psalms and I was on this Psalm, Psalm 49. And Glenda called me and she said, okay, get a pen. She said, here's how I read it. You can't be rich enough to escape the grave You can't be smart enough to escape the grave. The only way you can escape is by God's grace and trusting Jesus to get you to heaven. Amen. Preach it, sister. Right? Let's let's trust Jesus alone and not money. And let's not be afraid. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this incredible psalm written maybe 3,000 years ago, and yet it speaks through the ages to us right now. Um, Our our hearts and our minds resonate with the truths that are here. Uh, We feel convicted and encouraged. We pray, O Lord, that your Holy Spirit would use this to drive it down deep into our souls. And I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who is not trusting Christ alone for his salvation or her salvation, that this would be the day they turn to him in faith. May this be a day of salvation in which an assurance of heaven and eternal life is brought home to the heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.